Good morning, everyone, um, and welcome. Welcome to those online. Um, my name is Paul Mandel. I'm part of the volunteer preaching team, as Peter said, and my wife is Lisa, um, uh, who plays bass, as she did today, works on the sound booth, Baby Church, and is on the church council. For those of you who are somewhat new here, we have three grown kids, all of whom are married. There's Jenny, who lives in Lakeville, with our two grandkids. And as a family and marriage counselor, recently led a workshop here on trauma. There's Christy, a high school counselor and photographer living in northern Arizona, where we go for either Christmas or, or Easter. And Bobby, who lives just outside of Green Bay and who works at a medical college as both director of IT design and this year as an adjunct professor. Our, the latest addition to our family is Sasha, my retirement puppy. <laughs> Don't you just love her? <laughs> um, which, who is, like me, an extreme extrovert, full of energy, and yet has, has yet to meet a person or a larger dog she doesn't love. Uh, she knows she's lovable, so when we're in the park doing walks, if she hears people coming, she like, first gets all excited, and then she throws herself on her back in front of their feet, and like, love me! <laughs> um, anyway. Two weeks ago, one of our pastors shared what it was a word of God for us as a community. So the decision was made to preach on Philippians and the idea of partnering with Jesus. Two weeks ago also, as Pete noted, um, we as a community were treated to blessings over three nights and a Sunday as part of the Holy Spirit Conference. Many likely received special blessings and insights during the conference. Some might have even experienced what is called liminal space, a term used to refer to that space between now and then, or for some between life and death, as Paul will talk about, or if you will, between the physical and the spiritual world. It's a very special place where mystery and awe and understanding reside. You may have also heard Steve Nicholson, if you were at the Holy Spirit Conference, talk about a similar idea that he describes as an already and not yet, uh, referencing that time after Jesus came and announced that the kingdom of God was at hand, and that time when he would return to see it fulfilled. We also heard Steve during that conference, in relationship to the working of the Holy Spirit in us, say, we go to church on Sunday so we can be church on Monday. This rang true for me at the time because um, at, at my Catholic church, our pastor at St. Thomas Beckett, the first pastor, Father Tom Cummers, used to say that what happened inside the church walls was the locker room and what happened out there the rest of the week where we put into practice what we've learned as the game field, serving the larger community. Now, I'd be the first one to tell you that I have very few fears of public speaking. Um, sometime to the detriment of my wife, who has to put up with it all. But I am taking SACOM, which is the School of Kingdom Ministry here at, at River Heights Vineyard, in part because it is well outside my comfort zone to practice some of the things that Jesus told us we were empowered to do, and some of, some of which we practice at SACOM, um, and some of which we saw at the Holy Spirit Conference. So I am purposely putting myself out there when I do um, that, and it's going to go for the whole year, so I have yet to really experience the, the joy of it all. <laughs> Last week, 
John introduced us to the general themes of Philippians and how the sense of partnering with Jesus gave Paul, and in many cases, the Philippian community, both strength and joy. John looked at the history behind this story and started our examination of the first chapter, covering Paul's exhortation to the Philippians in verses 9 through 11. I pray that your love will overflow more and more, and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters, so that you may live pure and blameless lives until of the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. Now Paul's entire letter is focused not on his own life, but on Jesus. And he instructs all not just what to think, but how to think and how to act. In Philippians 1, 12 to 17, Paul wrote, And I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. He clearly talks of his imprisonment in Christ's cause, taking courage from his chains and emboldened to preach the gospel. In his letter, Paul spoke of those who opposed him and who were using their own words to twist the truth of Jesus or Paul and taking advantage of his imprisonment and the increased visibility of the Christian faith, be it in Rome or Philippi. He opposed those creating such trouble, but he still took joy in the fact that more people were talking about Jesus. Paul, a learned rabbi and Roman citizen, was quite different from the other apostles. He had a far deeper knowledge of scripture and privileges he was entitled to as a Roman citizen. His imprisonment had violated his right as a citizen to a trial in Caesar's court. So while he could expect a trial and likely freedom, he was still faced with the very, very real possibility of being put to death. Now last week, John gave a very good overview of this time in Paul's life. He spoke of how God intervened in Paul's brief time in prison with an earthquake this time. Paul was imprisoned several times. Um, on once on his way to jail, he and the guard uh, were sh all shipwrecked for several months, eventually sailing on again and jailed, possibly under house arrest, for over two years, during which time he wrote many of his letters, including Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians, and Philipp Philemon. Now, as John noted to me, Paul was so busy with his travels and his preaching his time of imprisonment probably gave, presented him with the best opportunity to write these communities, reinforcing his earlier teachings and preaching on Christ. This reminds me of Martin Luther King and his famous letter, letter from a Birmingham jail, in which he gently but clearly reprimanded the local church leaders who had encouraged him in their own letter published to him to go slow and try to get along preferring patience versus the confrontation to the oppressive racism at the time. In chains and in prison, Paul was able to connect with the lost, as well as the oppressed and those subjugated to the Roman Empire. Because he was single-minded for Christ, meaning that Christ was all that mattered, 
His relationship with the resurrected Jesus served as his source of joy. This led him to preach ceaselessly before the guards, even the elite Praetorium Guard in Rome, in, uh, leading many to Christ. In verse 20 we hear, I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ, as I have been in the past. Paul saw his dire circumstances and all his life situations as God-given opportunities to spread the gospel. And in this light, Paul used every opportunity to talk of Christ. Having surrendered all to God, he found joy in all these times, regardless of the situation. Don't we all want that joy infused in our lives on a regular basis? And Paul freely talked about his openness, not just for his possible freedom, but also for death. In Philippians 1, 21-24, Paul wrote, I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. For me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I don't really know which is better. I'm torn between the two. I, desire, I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. He acknowledged his preferences for death, since it would mean uniting with Christ himself, freed from the physical limitations of his body and the temptations of the flesh. And death would serve as a signal that his earthly work had been completed. At the same time, he knew that freedom would mean more preaching of Christ wherever he went and working to spread the gospel throughout the empire with a possible return to Philippi. Now, I'm not going to sing this part because I know that singing is not one of my gifts. But it does remind me of a song that we've been singing here recently, God of Rest, with lyrics that include, You are the peace that our souls receive. We can rest in you. Followed by, God over our striving. God over our sleep. God over our struggle, our work, and our rest. God over our future. God over our history. God over our family, our people our land. It reminds me even more of a song that I've heard for far, far longer called St. Patrick's Breastplate, or The Deer's Cry, as some people know it, where we hear, Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left. Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I arise, Christ to shield me, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of every man who speaks of me, Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me, Christ with me, I arise today. In another translation, Paul expresses his joy arising from his single-mindedness, where he says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. In this, his liminal space, if you will, between life and death, or the already and the not yet, we can see his connection to the reality of life 
for the oppressed or subjugated people, alive but subject to the daily threats posed by the empire. Paul, like the people of Philippi, was among those who were colonized subjects under the rule of the Roman Empire. Life at the margins carried a, per a permanent struggle against an ever-present threat. Today, we are in the second year of a worldwide pandemic. As of this month, 700,000 have died in this country alone, 4.5 million worldwide, with over 220 million cases worldwide. I recently read that over 140,000 children have been orphaned due to COVID deaths in just the United States, with more than two-thirds of those children being people of color, highlighting the disparity in healthcare that exists in our country even today. Returning to Paul's letter, noting that Philippi was a political center for the region, he reminds the Philippians that they have a duty as followers of Christ to lead lives worthy of Christ. They also have a responsibility to conduct themselves in a manner worthy of their civic place in the life of the empire. This would follow Jesus' own teaching and instruction to us all, that we have a responsibility to build up not just the church, but the public good as good citizens. Now, for more than half my life, probably dating back to the 60s, which were so turbulent for many, I've walked two paths myself. One was as a Christian of the Catholic faith, come of age after what was known as Vatican II, and during the time that saw a foreign war fought over countless lies and doubts, while far too many died fighting that war, and our civic leaders, who gave us hope to a whole new generation, searching for meaning, were assassinated. The other walk was a politically motivated, as a politically motivated individual who wanted to help create a better, more just, and sustainable world. In this way, I could relate to how Paul called upon the Philippians to be courageous in their unified but bold profession of their faith, while acknowledging their city's standing in the empire. Once I got involved in church in, in social justice work, I became more and more aware of over 100 years of Catholic social teaching, often called the church's best-kept secret. It's based first and foremost on scripture, and then the writings of popes over the time, addressing everything from the dignity of the individual and human life, to the value of labor, the preferential option for the poor, the need to be stewards of our God's creation entrusted to our care. It has served to guide me for much of that dual walk, both as a citizen of the kingdom and of the civic or public good. Now, Paul's, letter, Paul's words to his, in his letter to the Philippians reflects his own partnership with Christ, as well as with the Philippians partnering with him. His letter conveys expectations of lasting relationship among the members of their community, who are to then stand firm in one spirit, spirit striving side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel, as we see in Philippians 1:27. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. I know that in my life, that joy Paul speaks of has often been strongest when I sense that I'm walking the path that God wants for me. Isn't that something we should all seek more and more of? Isn't that something you want for yourselves more and more? In case you never realized it before, Christ is a kind of big deal for Paul. What's more, Christ ex exemplifies both the mind, 
believers are to have and the pattern they are to live, as we find in the first few verses of chapter 2. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together with the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and one purpose. However, that's a story for another day, as you often see on early newscasts for TV. Stay tuned for details. <laughs> now here, I would like to speak to several themes taken from what has been part of more recent decades in Christian churches, including but not limited to sources like John Wimber from the Vineyard and Dave Schmelzer of the Blue Ocean Church. I pray you see the connection between Paul's instructions and some of these ideas. One is solus Jesus, as in the single-mindedness of Paul, centered set versus bounded, or all about relational and directional rather than rule-based inclusion or exclusion. Childlike faith, as Jesus himself called for a third way approach to controversy, looking for those truths held in common for core issues rather than causing division over the details. Ecumenical, and then joyful engagement with a secular culture. Allow me to some, examine some of these more closely. We find Jesus saying in John 5:39, you study the scriptures diligently because you think in them you have eternal life, but the scriptures points to me. Jesus is the source of eternal life, and that is what solus Jesus really means. Then we have centered set versus bounded set. Think of a room full of people, first with a circle enclosing some of them based on some set of rules, and then the same room without some line determining who's either in or out, where all can still hear and receive the same message or invitation. Now, while at times all the people may be facing in different directions, the important thing is that all are welcome to receive God's gifts, no matter how long it takes them to hear it. The first example dwells in sin, the second in gifts and fruits. Just think of how often Jesus' disciples, who were walking with him for years, got it wrong, and yet he did not cut out any of them, or reflect on the biblical story of the Good Shepherd, looking for the lost, or the prodigal son, the story of forgiveness and everlasting welcome. Jesus' mission was always to bring all to him, and we need to look at everything with his eyes and his lens alone. As for childlike faith, Matthew 18, Mark 10, Luke 9, all speak of Jesus' call to come with the faith of little children. And in Philippians 1.25 we see, convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. Where we learn that the barometer of our faith should not necessarily be our moral righteousness, but our level of joy in the faith. We can also look to the example of the mythic stories found in the work of C.S. Lewis or even J.R. Tolkien. As for the third way approach to controversy, Smelcher references the work of psychologist and author of The Road Less Traveled, M. Scott Peck, which has also been used by many spiritual directors. I'll skip the details, but just think of how often the disciples, and even Peter, had to learn to be more open to the spirit rather than those rules created around things like what foods you could eat or what other kinds of things became obstacles for the Gentiles. 
Paul is one who clearly underwent one of the most mystical kind of, of conversions and who came from a, sub, from a strict place of adherence to rules as a rabbi would argue throughout many of his letters that Jesus' most central miracle was often breaking down dividing walls between cultures. Paul would argue against holding contempt or judgment over others and instead trusting God to judge wisely. As for being ecumenical, or the last principle, that joyful engagement with the culture, I would suggest that not only are we not threatened, but we are richer as a community and people when open to diversity, be it with different cultures, races, or creed, in that we can always learn from others how to better live our lives. Look at most of Jesus' parables, or his own calling to be salt and light, as well as the many ways he called on us to love of neighbor. And again, Think of the Thanksgiving giveaway as that, we, that this church has been known for for all these years since the very, very beginning, which last year we served over 800 households and families. Before closing, let me cite from this SACOM program I'm taking part, of, part in and using John's, John Wimber's own repeated words, everyone gets to play. And here I have to go off script. Um, uh, I, uh, the, many of the leaders in this church were at a National Vineyard Conference this past week, and I only was able to catch the recording of this one part on justice late Thursday. So there are no slides, and this is off the script, but um, a person named Cheryl Pitlick, Pitluck, pastor and leader of the, just, of, the, of the Justice Network through the Vineyard Justice Network she helped create, told of how early on John Wimber declared his belief that God has blessed the Anaheim Vineyard because of its ministry to the poor. Now she admitted thinking at the time it would have been because of their pursuit of teaching ministry or their relationship to God built on worship or the unleashing of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but she had been wrong. She spoke then of Matthew 25. When did I see you hungry or feed you or clothe the naked or visit the sick, or those in prison. She spoke of a church where they actually vet those who work in the food pantry, recognizing the importance of their role as possibly the only representative of Jesus those people might ever encounter. She spoke of the need to see that not all are born with the same opportunities, privileges, or advantages, and cited Proverbs 31.8, speak for those who cannot speak for themselves ensure justice for those being crushed. And then she reminded all that God is a God not just of compassion, but righteousness and justice, citing Psalm 89:14, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Unfailing love and truth walk before you as attendants. Listening to that touched me so deeply, even though I was listening to just a recording and at this point, I'd call the worship team up. Um, there will be people here offering a prayer for you, so if you have any needs, I'd invite the prayer team up too. And if you have needs of any kind, feel free to take, it, to take the time to speak to these folks. If we can have a few more people who do that. And I will be in the back afterwards. Um, if you'd like, I'd like to meet you. And remember, I'm an extrovert, so. Um, in closing, let me just pray that we would be united in the truth that is Christ.
authentically following his example so that united as the body of Christ, as the song goes, they will know we are Christians by our love. May we keep Cheryl's words and those of Jesus before us as we head into the season of Thanksgiving, when this church again celebrates our signature Thanksgiving program, and as we move into the holiday season, remembering those less fortunate than us, through no fault of their own, and keep not just love, but righteousness and justice in the forefront of all we do. As for any tips, I might just humbly offer one to read and meditate on Philippians 1:27. Then pray that you may be given opportunities to experience the joy of Christ and partnering with others to spread that joy. And lastly, practice active listening, both to those around you and to the Spirit.